1 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, the message title is House to Home. This is about the building of the temple by King Solomon, who is the son of King David. It says this, Now it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. Let me stop there. You can look up for a second. That is significant. Israel was in slavery in Egypt for centuries. God raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses and said, you will deliver my people and take them to a land that I promised to give them a land of promise. Right? And so Moses, even though he was reluctant in the beginning, with the help of his brother, leads the children out of slavery into the freedom of a wilderness. They they roam and they, they just wander through Sinai. They find themselves on the other side of the Jordan. God raises up Joshua. They cross over and they have inhabited the land. After they inhabited the land, they dispersed it to all of the tribes. Okay, to you this land, to you that land. And all of the 12 tribes got their land generation after generation after generation after generation. Nearly five centuries pass since the exodus of Moses, and finally at that time, a temple is being constructed. Do you see the time differential here? Like, this is significant. Everybody who was involved in building that temple that day was so far removed from the exodus, right? And if you think about all of the promises of God in giving them a land, God's house was simply in a tent for centuries. A tent, right? And as they were so used to worshiping in a tent of meeting, Moses would do that, Joshua would do that, and every successive generation, finally, nearly five centuries later, Solomon is finally given the baton by his father David, you build this house. Okay? And so you have to think it's far removed, maybe it had less meaning or more meaning. Okay? But five centuries. Okay, let's get back to the text. So 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that it began to build the house of the Lord. As for the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits. I don't know what your translation might say. A cubit is 18 inches, a foot and a half. Okay? So if it's 60 cubits, you math geniuses, how many feet is that? 90 feet. Yes, that was quick. No wonder you're an accountant, right? That was quick, Andrew, right? You're good with numbers, okay? And so it was 60 cubits in length, so 90 feet long, and its width was 20 cubits, right? How many? 30 feet, okay? And so 90 by 30, so 30 is the width, and its height was 30 cubits, so it's 45 feet high. So 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 45 feet high. That's the dimensions of this house. And the porch in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits in length and corresponding to the width of the house. And its depth along the front of the house was 10 cubits. Also for the house he made windows with artistic frames. And against the wall of the house he built stories encompassing the wall of the house around both the nave and the inner sanctuary. And thus he made side chambers all around. 
verse 6, the lowest story was five cubits wide, and the middle was six cubits wide, and the third was seven cubits wide. For on the outside he made offsets in the wall of the house all around in order that the beams should not be inserted in the walls of the house. And the house, while it was being built, was built of stone, prepared at the quarry. And there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. Think about how significant that is. You got to measure it, go to the quarry, cut it, and then bring it. You got to be exact, right? Anybody who's ever installed baseboards or flooring and you got to saw it outside and bring it in, you know what this feels like. But we're not talking about walking outside of a door to cut it. It was cut at the quarry, carried to the house, and installed. This is a lot of extra work. Why was it done this way? He didn't want a tool to be heard in the house while it was being built. Verse 8, the doorway for the lowest side chamber was on the right side of the house and they would go up by winding stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. And so he built the house and he finished it and he covered the house with beams and planks of cedar. He also built the stories against the whole house, each five cubits high, and they were fastened to the house with timbers of cedar. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. This passage of Scripture came like an arrow into my heart this week. I... I want to play off the words house and home today. Houses line our streets everywhere we go, right? You have construction companies buying plots of land, clearing them out to build houses. They don't know the names or the families that will inhabit these structures. They just build them for a profit. So they secure contractors and wood and all of the other materials needed and they bring in all of the heavy machinery, they dig up the ground and finally after months time, houses are constructed. Maybe you live in a new construction, maybe you live in an older home. But at some point in time, it was simply a house that was built by a builder. But what is a home? We consider home a habitation, right? That there's a differentiation between a house and a home because a house is a structure. A home is a place where you live. It's a place where people dwell. It is where a family functions, where dinners are eaten around a table, where school bags are thrown on the stairs, where shoe tracks are mudded through the hallways. That is a home. A house is different. A house is informal. A house is just generic. But a home is personal. A home is where I now say, this is my address and this is where you can come and meet me to have a meal with. That's a home. And what God wants is not necessarily a generic house being built with all of these timbers and planks and stories and spiraling staircases. He wants a home where He dwells. He wants to be with His people. And that's His entire point in this passage. Solomon got the baton from Dad. 
David wanted to build this house. David was like, man, Lord, I love you. I worship you. He was a worshiper through and through. And he says, I can't stand it that the ark of God is dwelling in a tent and I live in this palace. That's what David said. I can't stand it. I have this extravagance around me. I have bedroom chambers and courtyards and, and eating halls that are just extravagant, laid with precious metals, used with the best wood. And all of these artisans came from all over to build me this house. And I look at the place where I worship in front of that ark. And it's a bunch of posts and draped cloth. It's just a tent. And so he purposed in his spirit, I will build for God a house greater than this. A palace for kings? Ah, I want to build a house for my God. And that's what David said. And so he says, I'm going to do that. And if you ever have read that passage where David was transporting the Ark of the Covenant from the tent, and he wanted to bring it to the capital. And so they were carrying it, but the oxen upset it. Somebody touched it. Somebody was zapped and died right there. The fear of God came in him. He says, I can't bring this right now. I don't know what to do. And he leaves the Ark there. And then after learning some stuff from God and the fear of God inside him, he goes, strips down, dances in front of this Ark, and he's offering animals left and right as they bring this ark into the capital. That is how this ark was brought in to the city. And now David wanted to build it, but God said, you know what? Um, you got too much blood on your hands. You cleared the land with your armies, and you know what? I don't want you to build me this house. I want your son. Your son will do it. And David, I can imagine how much he wanted to do that. But there's, there's also that sense of paternal pride. Like when your children do something that you couldn't do or didn't do, there's a sense of like, I did it too, like through them. I mean, with the kids playing sports and when they do something good in sports, I'm like, ah, man, that's even better than me doing it well. It, it really feels that way. And possibly even though David wanted to do it so much, seeing that Solomon would do it, there was a sense of pride there. So he let that baton go. Saul, you do it, buddy. It's yours to take now. And Solomon takes this baton. And it only took within the four years, the first four years of his reign, as soon as he got on the throne and was king, I can imagine he was already assembling people. Already thinking about where the resources were going to come from. Already thinking about what letters needed to be written to what kings and what people. And all of those words go out to everybody. I want to secure this much wood, this much jewelry, this much metals. And all of that is beginning to flood in. And by the time the fourth year of his reign rolled around, time had come. Oh, everybody was ready. They start building it, and they build it to the T. We're talking like tape measurement, and they marked it to the inch. It needs to be this long by this wide by this high. I want these rooms like this, and I don't want to show any beams. So I want to be able to do it in a way that shows extravagance. It shows purposefulness. It shows worship. And they built these structures and these stories and these rooms all around. And there was an inner sanctuary for worship. And all of this was built with great materials. And I can imagine as Solomon was building this. And to a sense, I feel like our church members felt this in these last two weeks as we came here. We assembled a small design team. We assembled people and we thought about the color scheming. We've measured. We worked with people to close out the windows that were in the front. We, we, we installed the window in the back for a nursery room. And we've 
lined this entire space with cables. We had to measure it out to make sure we had enough length. And all of this stuff you don't see so that there's less distraction in worship. And it was purposeful to do that. And in this small space that is 25 by 35, including the nursery, which is another 15 feet, in this space, yes, okay, but comparably now Solomon is building a house for God, 90 by 30 by 45 with all of this extravagance. And he's saying, I want everybody who looks at this to say, wow, they did it on purpose. They knew what they were doing. They thought about it. That their building, that their construction was a form of worship. Have you ever walked into a church like cathedral and you felt that? Like yesterday I went to a wedding up in L.A. It was at the First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. And it was just an older structure. A huge, I mean we're talking about huge structure. You walk in and it is just massive. You feel so small right? It's just this old cathedral. It's got this huge pipe organ that felt like was 10 stories high, right? And as soon as that organist, that shoe's going on, like I was shaking on the pew. It was just so much energy coming from those pipes. And I looked up at the, at the lighting, all of the detail of the metalwork that framed these the casing. I looked at all of the walls. I looked at the pews. I looked at the front, the lectern, and all of that. And I saw detail. We don't build churches like that anymore. Because you walk into that space, you feel like it's cold and dark, and you feel small. And that architecture, that Gothic architecture, is intended to make you feel that way. Why? Because when you go in, they want to inspire the awe of God. They want you to feel the grandness of worship and God's presence and how small we are in comparison. That's why architecture is like that. Nowadays, we build it differently. Warm, inviting, comfortable, on our level, right? But as I went into that church yesterday, I was like, I was just looking at it. I, I couldn't see like a nail or a screw on certain areas that I felt I should see that. Like how they did it. They did it like they meant to do it. And to a smaller extent in our facility, I feel as though that's the spirit that pervades. At least as, as I look, in, as I kind of rummage through my heart and what I want this space to look like. The square footage that we've been allotted here on this floor that there's a sense like everything should be on purpose because this is for God. And I, I, I think I've come here every day this past week and I know a lot of our church members, we've come here, you've had small group meetings here and I love the fact that you want to meet here. I, I love that, to have traffic through here and just to be able to see the space and I hope that as you walk through it, you see trash on the ground and you pick it up because you realize that's not the space where that trash should be. You see something there and you're like, you know what? How can we make this space more of an expression of worship to God? Have that heart as you walk through here. When you come through that fellowship area and you think, you know what? Ah, how can this be a greater voice and melody of worship to God? And every time I come through here, I feel like this space is a place where I can pray. Like, I come in, even though, like, it smells still a little bit like paint, right? I feel like I can come in this space and I can pray. 
I feel like prayer comes out for me here. And also, as I came, like, you know, yesterday I wore a suit to the wedding. <laughs> I felt different. Like, for two weeks, all I wore was, like, old, painted, dirty, scuffed up, dusty jeans and shirts. And I finally cleaned up for a day, and I felt like, oh, I'm a person again. Right? Like, because I went everywhere looking like that, right? And, like, yeah, it was, I went to the bank, right? And the teller goes, oh, were you painting today? <laughs> and, uh, it was great to, to be able to not care about that dirtiness. But in a sense, cleaning up felt, felt good, right? It felt good, right? But as I, as I think about this space, that, that prayer, it's unfinished in so many ways. But I, I feel as though all that is offered, whether by paint, by artistry, by worship or by word, that all of that collectively is a meaningful expression of worship to God. And so we as a church have that opportunity to build such a temple. That this is our space that we have the ability to decide what colors we want, what types of wood we want, what metals we want, so to speak. We have that luxury, that autonomy. But as we choose that, like Solomon, I should measure it out thinking about, you know what? If God dwells here, I don't, want, I don't want him to hear the sound of a hammer. I don't want him to get the dust of the chisel from that stone that's being cut right now. And Like that was his heart. That was his heart. And let's allow that to permeate into ours as we have been given the privilege to build this house of God. And so what flies out to me as I read that passage is the attention to detail, the exact measurements, the thoughtfulness to the flow. Like he thought about when people come in, what is it going to look like? How do they walk up the stairs? How are they going to feel? If they see beams or don't see beams, does that make a difference? Like he thought about that. Eyesight, like what am I looking at when I walk through this space? That was important to him. And that jumps out to me as I read this passage. And so as we talk about this, I'll talk about two things. The first, as you'll see on your outlines, is this. Fight the temptation to focus on the external. Okay, the exterior stuff. That was what we were doing a lot of these last two weeks. Painting, right? A, a, a lot of the stuff happened like what we see on the outside. That was our energy expenditure over these last two weeks. And that is good because we need to get the space ready, right? But we need to fight the temptation to focus on the external as the main thing. It's like you go into a restaurant. Have you ever been to like Olive Garden and filled up on the bread? <laughs> right? You've done that, right? Like, ah, oh, man, I shouldn't have ordered that food. I should have just ordered like and shared, right? Because you filled up on bread, right? But it's a good thing Olive Garden bread is good. <laughs> right? It's when you take it home too, it's good, right? But we've done that before, right? We've, we've had the meal in front of us, and there's a main dish, the one that was headlined on the menu, and somehow we filled up on the sides, right? We enjoyed it. Yeah, it's important. I mean, the veggies and the mash or the bread or the salad, that's all good and dandy, but there is a main here, right? 
And that's what you need to fill up on. And that's where kind of like my wife and I, we differ, when, especially when we're going out to eat. She's a snacker. I'm not so much of a snacker. Like we're going to dinner and she's eating snacks in the car. And I'm like, we're going to eat right now, right? Let's save our stomach for that, right? She offers it. I'm like, no, I'm okay, right? So I've come to just accept that that's what she does and she still enjoys her meal. But for me, like when I go, I want to like enjoy the meal that we're going to actually be served, right? And so, as we think about worship to God, like, oh yeah, great, we, we spent three weeks and this amount of money to fix up the structure, to prepare the facility, and that's all great. That's great, that is necessary. That's worship to God, just like the worship was to Solomon of building this temple. When we construct this facility, that's a worship to God. That's a form of our service. It is a declaration of the condition of our heart saying, we want this house of worship to be excellent before you. I believe that's important. The attention to detail, cleanliness, lines, flow, All of this we can do well. But let us not put that carriage in front of the horse. Let us not get confused to say, now that the space is clean, ah, this is good. Because it is the worship that is offered in this space that is most important. It is me coming before God, the heart that I have for worship. Like, when I wake up on Sundays, the mindset that I take, I'm going to my church family to worship together. And you've heard it said, worship on Sunday starts on Saturday. I want to be rested. I want to be there early on time. I want to pray. I want to make sure that if we have any visitors, that I've prayed to ask God to open their hearts. That if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus, I want them to get acquainted. And that heart to say, I'm coming here because God deserves a sacrifice that you can't see it now because it's invisible. There's an altar here. That there should be an animal slain on this altar. That's the Old Testament picture. In the Old Testament, they brought the best animal, the one that was unblemished, the first fruit, right? Not the last. You got a farmer, right? And harvesting the crop. And there's always crop that falls to the ground, right? If you ever pick strawberries, there's always strawberries that are a little bit deformed. There's always vegetables in the produce section of the market that don't look as good, right? And what do you do? You're standing in front of that little box, right? You're doing this. This is what you're doing, right? Because as you have produce, crop, there is good crop, mediocre crop, and not so good crop. And it's easy to give others the stuff that's on the bottom. Like, I haven't worn that shirt in two years. I'll give that to Goodwill. It's easy to donate the stuff that we don't wear. It's easy to give God money after we've paid everything for ourselves, what we need and what we want. It's easy to give God time when I feel rested and I have it to give. But what God wants is not leftover time. What God wants is not the blemished lamb. What God wants is the first of the hundred 
That first slice, that best slice, when it comes out clean, that's the slice that he wants because that's a picture of reverence. And so when I think about the time that I have here, how I prepared my heart for worship, what is done in this facility, how we do our fellowship, what is prepared, all of that activity, may it be our best. Like the first of our fruits, the best of our efforts, the most excellent parts of our being. May we understand that that is pleasing. Because Solomon is building this temple, right? Like he's, I can, like he's doing all of it. Artistic frames are going up. And when it says artistic frames, like you can imagine like the detail. Everything was cut like so precisely, sanded down smooth. It was beautiful, right? And Solomon's building all of the intricacies. And then God knocks on his heart. Hey, Saul. Thank you for building this house for me, and you're doing a good job. But I want to get your attention off of the walls, the frames, the floors and the ceiling for a second. And I want you to look into my heart. If you will follow this, if you will want to know what's in here, and seek to live it out. You won't be perfect, but if you seek to live out what's in here each day, I'm going to dwell here. I'm going to make the house a home for me. I'll actually call it my address. When I fill out that card, where do you live? I'll write the address of that temple. I want to live there. But I'm not living there because the walls are nice, because the color scheme fits my eye. I'm living there because the people that are assembled there are close to me here. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying here in verses 12 and 13. If you'll follow my statutes, just like I promised your daddy, I'll be with you. And I'm going to be with my people Israel. The king receives this word. And I can imagine the impact that it had. Like how much energy and resources went into the building of the temple and God is saying, I like it, thank you, but... <laughs> and it wasn't a form of like, like having no gratitude. It was God saying, thank you. Like, I appreciate, this is worship, right? But I want you to know it's not first. I want you to know that this is wonderful, but I want you close to me here first. And this is exactly what he says. So fight the temptation to focus on the external. God looks at the outside, but not first. He doesn't give that the most weight. You see that like in the comparison between the kings that were before Solomon. King Saul and King David, Solomon's dad. Solomon fit the bill. He looked apart, tall, looked kingly, right? And there was one particular occurrence where he disobeyed God. God said, you know what? I want you to utterly destroy this people called Amalek, 
because they kind of like ambushed my people when they're coming out of Egypt. And so now the, the tables had turned and they were ready. So I want you to, to literally wipe them out. King, everybody, every animal, everything. I want there to be nothing left of Amalek. Right? And Saul takes the charge and he goes and he defeats them. Right? But it says he spared the king and he spared the best of the spoils, the best of the animals. I can imagine he wanted the king as a trophy. Look who I defeated. And he spared the best of the animals to give to the people. Hey, take this. I am your king. I am the benevolent giver. I give you good stuff. And so he left the best of the spoils. And God's heart was burning, burning, right? He tells Samuel, Sam, that guy, he doesn't know my heart. And so Samuel comes up to King Saul and he says, Saul. And Saul's like, hey, 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 Sam, prophet, hey, glad you came. I followed through. I completed everything God asked me to do. And Samuel's like, what is this bleeding in my ears then? Why do I hear sheep? Why do I hear the lowing of oxen around me? What is this? It's, oh, I sp we spared the best, right? I said, no, you don't know God's heart. You were not in tune with what God wanted. You did this for your name, not God's. And so at that moment, there was a turn. There's going to be another king in place of you whom follows God, who's a man after his heart. And he selects, of course, through the, one of the sons of Jesse, the young ruddy kid, David. It was years before he ascended to the throne. But God says, that's my boy. God looks, not at the outside as man says, as man does. But he looks on the inside. Fighting the temptation to focus on the external will be a battle that we have all the days of our lives. Because the world, through all of the imagery and media and magazines and everything that's out there, will say, look at the outside. Make sure you have the house and the clothes and the title and all of that stuff tidied up because you need to look the part. And we will always, always have the battle to focus on the outside. And God will always try to remind us, okay, I get all of that, but look here first. Make sure everything is in order here first. What good is it to have a beautiful house of worship if you don't have people that are sacrificial in worship gathered? The second point that I'll make is this. That we need to make a dwelling for God in our families and in our church. It needs to be lived in by God. And what he's saying to Solomon, okay, I, I, I see the generic structure now, it's extravagant, but I want to dwell there. And why I'll dwell there is if you follow my heart. And that dwelling is what we need to focus on. That dwelling is what we must desire for our families, you know. Big mortgages don't equate to happy homes. I think we all know that, right? <laughs> Just because you have a big mortgage, it doesn't mean you have a happy family, right? You, you can have a well-furnished structure, but it does not mean you have a happy marriage and kids that enjoy being around their parents. Right. We've grown up in homes and we've experienced this. Maybe we have the opportunity now with our own families to know the dynamics of that. 
that my, my pay seems to be going up and our living conditions are increasing, but somehow it's not equating to make our house any more of an intimate home. And so we need to make our families a dwelling of God. That We need to make that a place that is just warm. There's life happening. And that as well for our church. In this passage, verse 14, right, in 1 Kings, it says, So Solomon built the house and he finished it. Right? Uh, when I read that verse, I had mixed feelings. Like, first I had the feeling of great accomplishment. Because whenever you finish a task, like a project at work, or you're, you started to build something, like I built a bike for the kids, it took like a couple of hours, but when you finish the bike, there's a sense like my back hurts, but like, ah, you feel good about it, right? You bake a cake, you feel good about it. Whatever it is, you finish an assignment, you feel good when it's done. And I can imagine Solomon was like, yeah, like it's done. Like we so much time and effort. Like this was a generational baton first and foremost, right? And we wanted to do this for God. And like, yeah, we got all the builders, all the material, everything overlaid just perfectly. And Solomon's looking at the finished product and saying, yes, I love it. I love it. Like it's perfect. Like the lines are pure. Oh, it's just like, yes, I, I can feel that. I, I get that from him. In that verse, verse 14, he built it and he finished it. That word finished, it means like nothing else needs to get done. It is perfect. I don't need to go back in tiny loose ends. It is done. And Psalm's like, yeah. And so the first part of me reading that verse is that sense of satisfaction. The builder's satisfaction. But then the second part of the verse that is kind of underneath it, it jumps out at me. And it's the part that says, it's not finished. It's actually just beginning. Like what we do here now, it's just starting. Like, I now, like we've, we got the space ready, but now what? Now comes the word of the Lord, if you da-da-da-da-da. And now he's thinking about the worshipers in this space. He's thinking about the Levitical priests that will offer stuff here. He's thinking about the families that will come into that outer court. He's thinking about all of the different furnishings and how they will now be used. And so the next part of that for me is like, ah, it's actually just starting. And that's how I feel about our church right now, actually. I feel like these first five years of City Chapel was wonderful. And in a sense, I kind of equate those five years to the five centuries, <laughs> to a certain extent of them coming out of Egypt, right? Not to say that my life pre-City Chapel was slavery, but whatever. We've been given an opportunity, a baton. We've been faithful to that, to this point. I feel like it'll continue to happen over these next couple of weeks. 
But there will be a moment when we look at this facility and we'll say to ourselves, you know what, like, I feel like, ah, I feel good. The signage is right. The colors are right. The flow is right. We're done. Right? I know our, our finances will be uh, happy about that. Our treasurer will be happy about that when we finally are able to say that. Right? right? He's already given me a thumbs up. Right? But in that moment, I feel like it's going to be, wait a minute, we've got to actually dirty the place up, so to speak. We've got to get people through here that are dirty in life. It's got, it's got baggage. Why do we make the space. We made it for people to use and to be changed. And in that sense, I feel like it's just beginning. Like, I feel like the opportunity for ministry for our church will just begin with the completion of phase one here. And so there's that double feeling, satisfaction, but an unknowing anticipation of what now? A sense of tension that can be good. You know that tension of like when you're getting ready for a first date? That tension of going to that first day at the job? That tension. That's a good one, right? Because it, it makes you alert. It's like you're thinking about like all the stuff, right? You're just doing that. You're just looking for details, right? And that tension is a good tension. It's not an anxious, negative one. It's not a draining one. It is one that perks you up and gives you energy, gives you focus. And I feel as though that is the tension that is residing. And I pray that we as a community would feel that. And we say, God, like, what? What? Where are you going to bring us? What do you want us to do? Where do you want our dollars to go, our hands to be? Let's, let's pray that way. I'm going to close. Praise team, you guys come back. I'll end with two points. First is this. That when we build anything for God, anything, a church building, our families, your careers, you build for God. Right? What we do in the marketplace is not for ourselves. It must be a form of our worship to God. When we build anything for God, do it like Solomon built this temple with excellence. A spirit of excellence. Like, I, I want it to be done on purpose. We meant it this way. I thought about it, and it is good. Right? And then secondly, that let us make drawing closer to God's heart the most important thing that we do as a church weekly, daily, as individuals. That as we begin to, to incline our ear and tap in where God is at, what He wants to do, I believe that's going to give the greatest depth to our church community and to your individual families and lives. Amen. Amen.